Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 490. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. I'm Lorraine Sink. And this is Jason Michael a.k.a. JMI. Yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back, together, again. That's so nice. Uh, uh, we're, we're, I want to call us Bell Biv DeVoe, but not, none of our names are Bell Biv or DeVoe, so... <laughs> but they could be. They, they could, could be. be. With yes. some quick legal action. <laughs> If you are just joining us, we are going to tell you all about what's happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV, whatever. Before we get into that, how y'all doing? Good. James, we haven't seen you in a while. What have you been up to that you can tell us about? <laughs> I have been, uh, people can't see this, but I've been in this closet doing a bunch of cartoons, which is great. And people can't see me. I usually have a goatee and a beard, but I have nothing but a mustache. So I kind of look like a sexy Mr. Potato Head right now. But... Um, <laughs> Because I'm doing a TV show and it's a period show and I can't say anything because they made me sign something. But it's a good TV show and it'll be out very soon. And I hope you all enjoy it. But that's what I've been doing. Um, I'm jealous because you both have mustaches and I can't grow one at all. I mean, <sighs> I can buy you a fake mustache and, and mail it to you and then you can wear it. That's true. Sure. You really you really could. You really could. Lorraine, how are you? I'm good. I, uh, my husband and I have put down a payment on a house. Yay, we are yay. in contract for Woo, a house um, up in the lovely Hudson Valley. So yes. yeah, but we're not moving in until like summertime. So yeah, we have a couple of months. It's exciting and it's exhausting and it's stressful and it's the best thing, it's one of the best things ever. So I'm so yeah, excited R for you. Ryan did the cool adulting. Ryan moved into the house during the winter. <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't great. Uh, <laughs> no, there's no good time to move True. everything you've ever owned and and change every part of your life. It's just difficult no matter what. I'm just going to say I beat everybody this week. I got my first dose of the vaccine. Damn. I am super strong. Ah! I feel like great. And in like four more weeks, I'll be able to lick every person I see. It'll be great. What is this the person who gave you the PS5? Uh, who Who is your hookup, Ryan? And what do I have to do to be better at life and get things? That's right. The like second vaccines. reason why I win this week is because I finally got my PS4. I was traveling for work and I was checking my phone randomly at like 1130 at night or something. And I opened up Twitter and my friend James, who works for Insomniac Games, developers of our Marvel's Spider-Man games, posts, hey, I picked up a PS5 at Best Buy today. Any of my friends want one? Because uh, that's just the thing you do. If you find it, you buy it and you know someone out there is going to want it. And I was like, yes, I would like one. Can I have it? And he's like, yep, for cost and shipping. And I was like, done deal. That's the, the way it happened. And then it arrived two days later or whatever it was. And... I've been playing it. What was the first game you played? Well, the first game I played was actually Astro's Playroom, which is the, the pack-in game that's a platformer with like the PlayStation mascot, which is absolutely terrific. It's really fun, really cute. And then last night, I started Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales. Oh, you, you guys. It's so good. It has been <laughs> worth the wait. It yes. is tremendous. Oh, yeah. You are so much better at adulting than us. Did you guys, I mean, just just his patience, his I patience. Know. Like Lorraine and I are still like, we're not teenagers. We're like college kids. We're, we're, still, we're, imp <laughs> we're impatient. Like, you know, he's definitely a dad. He's like, no, no, patience will pay off. Like all the cool stuff he has mm -hmm. from patience. That's right. That's 
right. Yeah. We're going to have to wait a long time to lick our friends. Yes. Patiently waiting. <laughs> what we won't have to wait a long time for is to talk about Marvel Studios' <laughs> WandaVision with James. James, tell us your final thoughts. We've been talking about, because you haven't been on the show every week, yes. we've been talking about how we just love so much getting the text messages from you after you watch the new episode <laughs> with like, wait a minute, so what's happening? Who's this? Ah, screams and excitement. So now that you're finally on the show, tell everybody what you're thinking. Every show just literally blew my mind. Every show. I went in with an open mind going, okay, they've got this whole new story, you know, section three of the whole Marvel universe has ended. Where are we going from here? And so just to watch them open up with the first part, and I, I'm a kid from, you know, the 80s, so all those rerun shows, I understood Wanda's thing. So to see Bewitched and to see Dick Van Dyke and to see the Brady Bunch and to see Malcolm in the Middle and to see, you know, all those great shows come to fruition. And then at the end, as they began to systematically go through and like make it less about the old shows and more about the new shows and the new characters came in, you know, homegirl from Thor. And I just got more and more and more and more excited. And when Monica went through, I, I, I know some people may not have seen it, but, but also I'll just say when there's a moment where Monica goes through this cold, colorful thing and then things happen in her eyes and I just lost it. And then when, you know, Agatha went crazy and it was, it was then, it was actually that day when I realized that the Lopez's wrote the theme songs and mm -hmm. I know, I know them and I didn't know cause I didn't, I didn't check. I was super, so busy just being a fan. I didn't like go total nerdy. So I like texted them. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then then, I swear, I, I remember texting you guys. I remember texting you guys at the end when Vision, you know, shows up. And I remember just writing screams, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And you guys just <laughs> basically sending me, like, evil memes of, and, <laughs> and I had to wait a week. And I remember telling my wife, she said, what are you doing? I said, I am getting up. I'm going to eat breakfast and I'm going to go into this room and watch WandaVision. I don't want to be touched. Leave me alone. <laughs> so I watched the last episode and just thought it was the coolest thing. I mean, the transformations, the revelations, the, the, the fight scenes, and also there is something wonderful about a director and a writer that can do that classic thing that really, really good movies do, like Empire Strikes Back, where you can have three different fights going on at one time and it doesn't feel like you are splitting from the story. So the fact that you could have you know, the guys here, the girls here, and then the army here, and it all feels like it's in the same time. It doesn't feel like it's out of place. It doesn't feel like the rhythm of the show is off. And I was totally satisfied with the end. I was tearful. I was sad, but I was also hopeful. And I was also, there's a part of me that was just like, oh, this is about to get good. No matter which way these characters are allowed to go, you know, because if you're a comic book fan, you know that Wanda is gray. Wanda's gray. She's she's not, you know, total white hat cowboy. She's not total black hat cowboy. She is in the middle. She is a regular person with some omega level powers. And that crap just made me happy. I was like, I said, with every way she goes, it's going to be amazing. And the actors were fabulous. I just had the best time. I just, oh. And then my wife said, are you okay? I was like, I'm cool. But she said, you going to work? I said, yeah. I went back into the work and I actually watched the last 30 <laughs> minutes again. And then I started working. <laughs> the, the sweet torture. But look, the torture is going to continue. The sweet, nope. sweet, wonderful <laughs> torture is going to continue because we have already watched a little bit of Marvel Studios, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, come on! Yep. Yep. 
And you are going to have to continue uh, getting excited, getting hyped because the show is, depending on when you're listening to this, available now or available really soon on <laughs> Disney+. Plus. It's exciting. It's great. The final trailer just dropped this past week. Saw it. Lorena, for you and I, it's tough because we see stuff early. So the trailers are sort of like, they're great. I love watching them, but I've already seen a lot of bits and pieces. James, are you a trailer watcher? Oh, yes. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, big time. I've watched all the trailers. I literally watched the last one uh, last night before I went to bed. Yeah, I like to watch a trailer like once, maybe twice, and then I like to put it away and yes. forget about it so that I'm not like, oh, that's that part from the trailer. I want to completely have an experience once I'm there. The comments you're about to hear are not comments that are endorsed by Marvel or the wonderful Agent M or Lorraine Sink, the amazing, beautiful woman. They are endorsed only by James Moore Eichelhart, Tony Award winner from Broadway. I can't stand when people watch a trailer and then want to sit back and then give you all the, ooh, this is the stuff, the Easter eggs from the, just watch the trailer. Stop trying to figure out what's happening in the show. They're literally showing you two minutes of a, hour, maybe 30 minute show. You have no idea what's going on. Stop trying to figure out the whole show from 30 seconds to two minutes long. There was a 30 second trailer. They were like, oh, I know what's going to happen. No, you don't. Stop it. Just be a fan and watch the show. The comments made by James Moore, I guard 21 in Broadway have been not brought to you by Marvel or This Week in Marvel or by the amazing Agent M or the wonderful and intelligent great writer Lorraine Stink back to our regular scheduled program. <laughs> <laughs> I love that point too is that like Marvel Studios they're masters of the trailer yeah. they are yes. so good at yes. putting out something that a lot of people are like oh man they showed all this stuff they ain't showed you nothing they, they showed you they, nothing they, you don't know nothing you just seen some cool stuff and you got more hyped because that's what they do they get you hyped yeah one of my favorite fished in moments was the end game trailer <laughs> because we all saw what we thought we saw and then when the movie came out, we were like, hey, what what happened to the... I was like, ah, editing. Wonderful editing. They fished in. <laughs> For all you young people, that's from a 1990s movie called Wayne's World. Go check it out. Old people love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for everybody to see the show. And we've actually been working on a lot of stuff around the series to get people hyped. You know, so James... While you wait, there are things to check out. What? What? Tell me. Over on Marvel.com, there's a refresher about the series debut. You can check it out right now. There's also primers for Sam Wilson, Bucky Barnes, Sharon Carter, and Zemo. And there's just a bunch of great articles over there. Plus, you can check out more about the press conference for Marvel Studios, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And there is a virtual launch event coming up. Or if you're listening to this on Friday, it's already live and you can check it out. It kicks off on Thursday, March 18th at 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern, and it's going to be co-streamed on marvel.com slash falcon and winter soldier and ew.com slash falcon winter soldier. And there's going to be a bunch of great guests on the show. There's all kinds of stuff. Cool, because it's a big Q&A. You've got Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Sand, Wyatt Russell, Emily Van Camp, Daniel Bruhl, Kevin Feige, Nate Moore, Zoe Nagelhout. It's great. And our pal, everybody's pal, Angelique Rocher, is co-hosting it along with yes. EW's Chanel Berlin-Johnson. So definitely check that out. Go go watch that if you, know, you want to get a little bit more before you start to dive into Marvel Studios' Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then one last thing I wanted to, we wanted to point out, the Xbox spots that they did that had Anthony Mackie, like mm-hmm. sort of in-world Xbox spots, bringing back a character from Marvel Studios' Captain America, the Winter Soldier, just tremendous. 
so good. They they're Somehow, so cute. I've missed that. I've missed that. Oh, they're okay. so good, James. Oof. Uh, it was great. That's cool. That is so Love cool. it. Yeah. Another thing I love is anything pretty much from Mondo. They make all the great vinyl and posters and tiki and, and they've been branching out and they have these really cool Marvel mecha. They're not statues. They're not action figures. They're these just big collectibles. They're really, really cool. They're tweaks on Marvel characters in giant robot form. So there's a Spider-Man mecha and both the regular and the symbiote variants. And there's a little bit of a special offer that they're doing right now. Limited time, you buy one and you get 25% off the other Spider-Man mecha if you buy them together. So that's pretty cool. That's going until the end of March. I just love all this stuff. I don't know, Marvel and mech stuff is like having a good moment right now. Marvel mm-hmm. Mech Strike is going on and that comic mm-hmm. is great. And I know there's some more stuff around Mech Strike happening. This is beautiful. These are so cute. I love that they're just like, you know, there's sort of the classic Spider-Man in a mech suit form. And then there's the black suit symbiote Spider-Man in mech form. I dig the design. They've got kind of like a Mondo style to them. You know, Mondo's got that kind of great vintage-y feel to it in a way while still being like really hip and new. Yeah. Yeah. The regular Spider-Man one in particular kind of reminds me a little bit of Evangelion, which is dope. Dope, dope, dope. James, I don't know if you've seen this while you've been walking. So over in Times Square, a huge billboard went up for Marvel Method. One of our sibling podcasts over on Sirius XM hosted by Method Man has a beautiful digital billboard in Times Square. So if you're in Manhattan, go check it out. It's really, really cool. It's right next to the Raya the Last Dragon. (laughs) billboard you can't miss it it's it's kind of right over by our our old office so you know uh single tier (laughs) (laughs) it's just cool to see that uh like the marvel podcast getting that little bit of love in the middle of Times square of course it's method man so you know of course it makes perfect sense but he's kind of a big deal there is that moment as i get older it's fun to see the performers who came out as what you thought was one thing and you've watched them grow into not just performers but into these amazing business people to and and use their platform that at one time was only for one thing to venture out into their their loves i mean this is I won't sing the song because we don't have the rights, but this is M-A-T-H-O-D man from the Wu-Tang Clan. And he is the host (laughs) of this Marvel comic podcast. And he was one of the most dopest lyrics from that giant conglomerate of the Wu-Tang Clan. And now he's in TV shows and movies and a giant Marvel fan. The book I wrote, Marvel Voices, uh, he wrote one of the, I was in the book with Method Man. I kept telling people, I've written a story and Method Man's story is right next to mine. It's amazing. (laughs) So to see this brother, you know, do what he's done it's kind of cool to let the kids see look you know you don't have to be just one thing you can be uh, a comic book nerd and still be one of the most dopest respected mcs in the street because he's he's still so dope that even the young boys like don't 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 battle him this is method man just be be cool and respect your elders and let, let the brother do his thing so this is really cool yeah i i hadn't thought about it but i remember having the single for for any of you children out there that is a cassette single (laughs) it was a uh, a cassette with one to two songs on it and it came in a very thin cardboard sleeve didn't even have like the plastic box it was just a little little cardboard sleeve with two songs on it and i had the single of method man as a kid and to think about that now i was probably reading marvel comics and now 
like that connection is it's really really cool it's really cool yeah he's also nice so that's another thing he's also a nice guy <laughs> yeah i met him once at a party he was lovely oh and also now you can listen to uh marvel method on uh Sirius XM, of course, but you can also listen to it anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, podcast services around the globe alongside another great show, Marvel's Declassified. Yay! Yeah, we just kicked off this week. Now, if you don't have Sirius XM, you can also listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's just kicking off with the first episode this week, and it'll be releasing weekly. So go check out the first episode right now. Hell yeah. So... James, I don't know if you saw this, but this week on the at Man Twitter, also on at Marvel Future Rev, which is the Twitter account for Marvel Future Revolution, we all got first look at gameplay footage of Iron Man in the game. Uh, it looks really cool. Did you check it out? Oh, yeah. I'm super excited because, reminder, again, I'm in this game. Showed that <laughs> last year, right before the pandemic, we had a PAX East panel where we showed m me in the game. So that's the most important thing. Of well, course. maybe not. But <laughs> seeing actual gameplay is really exciting. And I've seen a bunch of this game, yeah. obviously, behind the scenes. It keeps looking better and better. And so seeing the Iron Man actual gameplay footage, who's going to be playable at launch mm -hmm. alongside Black Widow and Storm, and I'm sure more to be revealed, it looks terrific. I really suggest everybody go take a look at that Marvel Future Rev Twitter account because it's Marvel's first open world RPG on mobile. And it, it looks like a console game, y'all. It looks great. We also have some news about Marvel's Avengers. We um, had talked about this previously. The second Hawkeye, Clint Hawkeye, is now playable. Second in... Hawkeye or second best Hawkeye? That is the Ooh, question. Ooh, that's some Fighting shade. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that Hawkeye is now available as a playable character in Marvel's Avengers as of Thursday the 18th, which is uh, the day we go live on Sirius XM. So that's happening. And, you know, the story for this is really, really cool because... Hawkeye story, it brings us face to face with a possible future. There's some maestro action. There's some really yeah. cool stuff. You might even say the future is imperfect. Da, da, da. Yes, you would. And for everybody else who has done the good work to join the next generation of console gaming like me, you can play Marvel's Avengers now with the uh, PS5 and Xbox Series X versions. And it's going to look mm, so good. So good. Yeah, I'm excited for some um, timey-wimey something. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about comic stuff because there's some really cool stuff coming in June. Marvel Comics will be honoring Pride Month with a whole bunch of cool stuff. There's Marvel's Voices Pride number one, which is going to be a great anthology comic. We've had the Marvel's Voices Indigenous Voices, Marvel's Voices Legacy, and now Pride is going to be just incredible. Like the folks involved in this include Kieran Gillen, Olivier Coipel, Steve Orlando, whom I love and has not done a lot of Marvel stuff, but I think fans are going to be really excited. Anthony Oliveira who Lorraine and I got to talk to last year. Yeah, he's amazing. Teeny Howard, Vida Ayala, Chris Anka, Javier Garon, and tons more. This is like just an all-star lineup doing some really cool stuff. That's going to hit stands Wednesday, June 23rd. And then the Pride celebration continues. This is literally just a list of people that I'm obsessed with. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. I'm like, amazing, amazing, amazing. Like, incredible. Yeah. It's so good. The fact that we are also going to have Pride Month covers by artist Phil Jimenez makes me so excited. Phil has done incredible work Great across stuff. all of comics. 
He's done a, a bunch of work for Marvel, but it's been a couple of years. He did a really great bunch of issues on New X-Men with Grant Morrison, his rendition of Jean Grey. There's this one of this heartbreaking panel in that New X-Men run where Wolverine has to kill Jean because she's dying and she's like, please. And then the Phoenix, oh man, Phil is amazing. He's just incredible. And he's going to be doing some really great covers featuring America Chavez, Black Cat, Dokken, Hulkling and Wiccan, Iceman, Moondragon, Mystique, Northstar, the new Valkyrie and, and more. And man, I'm just so excited. Phil is the best. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for Pride Month. Look out for it coming this June. Still celebrating Women's Month, though. Going hard with those Jen Bartel covers. They are my flipping favorites. (laughs) Like we should have poster print on demand services because like those those covers would be beautiful. Honestly, I am going to go see what's the deal with that because I would really pay for a premium print of all of those covers. That She-Hulk one in particular. (gasps) I think about that one a lot. It's so beautiful. First of all, she just looks fabulous and she's wearing this like really classy white suit. It's just beautiful incredible i would get it tattooed on my body if i had a tattoo artist that was good enough to do that i got a guy okay <laughs> yeah, of course you have a guy <laughs> of course i have a guy but yeah let's talk a little bit more about june because we've got a new series coming out of immortal hulk it is gamma flight this one's cool it's co-written by al ewing and crystal frazier frazier actually is making uh her marvel comics debut here in the marvel's voices pride issue but she actually worked a little bit on earlier issues of immortal hulk with al so this is really cool and then the artwork in this issue is by lan medina if you've been following immortal hulk which Come on. It's one of the best comics we've published. It's just so, so good. Uh, But I love this team because Gamma Flight in the story has got Puck, who is everybody's favorite from Alpha Flight. It's got Absorbing Man and Titania, who have just had such a great run. Uh, If anybody hasn't read the Black Bolt series from a couple years back by Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward, they had such a good showing in that book and then in Immortal Hulk. Uh, So it's got Puck, Absorbing Man, Titania, Doc Sasquatch, which is uh, Doc Samson in Sasquatch's body, which is so cool. And Dr. Charlene McGowan, who has been a character in uh, Mortal Hulk, and she's great. And then um, Rick Jones, which is just a monster, horrible, sad version of Rick going on right now. And they're just, yeah, they're just trying to survive and and run and get some really, this is going to be a great series. It's going to be big, big fun. Yeah, I can't wait for everybody to check that out. June's going to be great. Also, we have an all new hero who is going to take up the shield in the United States of Captain America number one. Marvel is celebrating the 80th anniversary of Captain America this year, and they're going to celebrate with a brand new limited series this June, and it's going to be written by Christopher Cantwell from that great Doom series, among other things, as well as Dale Eaglesham. And this is going to show Steve Rogers teaming up with Captain Americas of the past, like Bucky Barnes, Sam Wilson, John Walker, and they're basically um, taking a little road trip across America to find his stolen shield. So it just sounds like this is going to be a great walk down memory lane for all of the Captain Americas. Nice. Is it Captain's America? Captain's, Captain's of America? America? Uh, or Cap- Captain's, yeah, Captain's America. Captain's of America? Yeah, what's the plural? We need Brevoort to weigh in on the proper plural. I saw the poster of the United States of Captain America, and I just got excited. It was something about that. And also, I will say, not to go back, but that was one of the cool things. When Sam became Captain America, 
don't get me wrong. I love that, you know, we have Black Panther and Dr. Voodoo and we have Ironheart. And that made me, that was really, that's just so cool. You have Moon Girl, so cool. But there's something about when Sam had the shield and it was Captain America. I don't know how other people of color felt, but I know for me, it, I, w- I just kind of sat back and I kind of teared up. I was like, holy crap, he's Captain America. So seeing that poster of them being on this journey together, I just, every time I see that, I, I get I get a little nostalgic from when the first time I saw it. So I'm very looking forward to seeing, you know, what's going to happen and where they're going with it and just their friendship and blah, blah, blah. You know, the different things that have happened. Also, I'm, I'm a friend with Rodney Barnes, who wrote, you know, when Falcon was Captain America and just like getting to know that brother and like kind of studying under his learning tree about writing and things. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Plus that first poster was so dope looking. I was like, this is amazing. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, another cool thing that's going to happen in this series is they're going to introduce a new LGBTQ character and that's going to kick off June 2nd. All right. So cool thing about this series is that there's going to be uh, like there's the main story by Christopher Cantwell and Dale Eaglesham. Mm-hmm. Dale Eaglesham, I want to give a big shout out because he's so good and he's been away from Marvel for a little while. Is another really incredible artist. I think everybody's going to be really excited to see him uh, in the, in this series now. Um, but they're telling this story and then there's a secondary story in each issue with different creators. So this first one, like Lorraine mentioned, is by Joshua Trujillo and John Bazaldua, and they're debuting this new Captain America of the Railways, an LGBTQ plus hero, Aaron Fisher, which I think is cool. We're going to see more of these different characters and them taking up the shield in different ways. I'm very excited by this one. I think it's a really cool thing and a a great way to celebrate uh, as one of the many things that we're celebrating Cap's 80th anniversary with. Yeah. One last thing before we get into our interview this week, I want to just point out that the Hasbro Pulse Fan Fest was announced and it is coming April 9th. I have the details about what Marvel stuff is dropping in that, but there's stuff and I'm not going to tell anybody, but if anybody out there wants to get hyped for this, think about New York Toy Fair. And think about what Hasbro does when they go and they do New York Toy Fair. Usually Lorraine and I will go, man, that was right before everything shut. That was like weeks before everything shut down last year. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh man. Honestly, a little wild to think that we went. <laughs> oh, yeah. But we didn't have a Toy Fair proper like this year. So they're they're coming out in full force. Hasbro does these, you know, these big Pulse Fan Fests really, really well. It's very exciting. There's cool stuff across all the brands that they they make stuff for, but Marvel stuff is cool. So get hyped for that. That's April 9th. Uh, you can get it on the, the Hasbro Pulse channels, and I'm sure we'll be talking about what they reveal in there soon. Wow, it's almost April. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to have another birthday in which I refuse to celebrate because I did not celebrate the last one properly yet. So I get these two years back. Yes. That's yes, just that's true. math. But we are not going to go back in time for this conversation that we have today with the cinematographer of Marvel Studios, WandaVision, Jess Hall. This was really cool. We got to chat with Jess about the show and especially because the look of this show is so distinct. It was really cool to get to talk to the cinematographer about Uh, you know, the changing eras and how they really crafted the look of the show and the feel of the show with cameras. And so much of the aesthetic and so much of the VFX were not done (laughs) with VFX. They were done with like, you know, practical effects, a lot of puppetry, a lot of cool stuff, Um, which if you haven't watched Marvel Studios assembled the making of WandaVision over on Disney Plus yet, it is available to stream right now. And you can see a lot more of how that sort of film craft came together. But Jess was really, really interesting. Yeah. Let's give that a listen right now. 
guests. Thank you so much for joining us here on This Week in Marvel. We are super excited to talk with you about Marvel Studios' WandaVision, but what Lorraine and I usually start our interviews with is really getting to know our guests and, and kind of learning what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get connected or learn about the Marvel characters and universe? Well, I think one of the first exposures that I had in sort of a cinematic presence was a great friend of mine who I was at film school with, who was kind of my DP buddy, Harris Sambar Lucas, BSC, actually shot Thor. So we were both based in England at the time, and he was working with Kenneth Browner. He'd done a couple of movies with Kenneth, and he called me up and he said, hey, I think I'm going to the US to shoot um, this Marvel film. And it was, you know, it was obviously very exciting. It was kind of early, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe development. So yeah, that was talking to him about that. And I remember him talking about the early tests he was doing. You know, there was a lot of digital work, which at that time was was quite groundbreaking and quite ambitious. So we, we always sort of exchange like ideas about what we're doing, because we, that goes back to kind of when we were developing our own 16 mil in the basement of our, our film school. <laughs> So, you know, I, I remember that very well. Also, Seamus McGarvey, a very inspiring cinematographer, shot the first Avengers movie. So I was very intrigued when I saw that he was doing that and paid a lot of attention to that. And then beyond that, my, my love affair with Marvel has really been through my son, I have to say, who is like a hardcore fan. He and his friends will absolutely go on opening night to any Marvel movie. They know a lot of, they, they're geeks. I mean, they're obsessed. And, <laughs> and so seeing that kind of passion in that, in that generation, you know, really made me think, okay, what, you know, what, I want to understand this. So we started watching the movies together. We started going to the theaters to watch the movies together when they came out. Often it would be his second viewing because he'd have gone with his friends the first time. <laughs> but um, we've seen a lot of those movies as a family, you know, getting to understand why this is so exciting intelligent, articulate kids like him and his friends, you know, where I started to really dig in and get to understand what, what this world is. What was his reaction when you were, when you, or does he know that you're doing a Marvel Studios project? Oh, he knows. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> it was by far the most excited he's ever been <laughs> um, about anything I've done. And it was, it was just for him. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, he was thrilled and still is thrilled at the involvement. Obviously speculating and, and very excited to see the result. <laughs> your son obviously had a great reaction when he found out, but what was your initial reaction to the script or pitch when you got it from Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, as well as Matt Shackman, the director, and Jack Schaefer on what they wanted to achieve for this first Disney Plus series? I mean, I was intrigued, I think, on a number of levels. I think one of the factors was, you know, just the, the opportunity to kind of extend the narrative of these characters because obviously they have these big narratives that go back to the IP to the early comic work and so I always felt like with the Avengers movies I kind of wanted to see more and and interestingly one of the stories that I always kind of found really compelling was the vision and wonder scene when they when they're kind of in Scotland when you see kind of the beginnings of that love story really and, and that was a really kind of emotional moment for me in, in all the films, I think. So the fact that it was them, the fact that it was a chance to kind of really delve into a deeper narrative about two characters, two actors who I have an amazing respect for. I've watched uh, Lizzie's work right from the beginning. Obviously I've done, you know, a couple of movies with Paul. So I know him and his work very well and, you know, have a huge respect for them both as, as dramatic actors. So that to me was kind of an interesting possibility there. I think that was the kind of main thing, the, the intrigue. I mean, I will say that you know, the information that I got was quite limited, um, I think it's, it's often the case. And so I didn't get, you know, nine scripts, I, I got like a page and a half of A4. 
<laughs> um, wow. So I had to kind of use my imagination to, to try and understand what that was going to become. And, you know, I mean, having a director like Matt is obviously very helpful because he's so clear and, and well thought out. So once I'd had a conversation with him, it became a lot clearer. But I was trying to kind of understand what this was initially because it is the complexity in the, the story is is great and the kind of I mean I think Kevin had referred to it as an avant-garde world compared to some of the other Marvel work and it does have a, a high conceptual value to it which in an initial read is quite hard to really understand quite how that's going to work my interest was definitely peaked going in that direction thinking about how this is it's got this really cool high concept but it's also has a lot of history with television and the way it's connected to those things what kinds of early television were you inspired by as you started to think about this and and maybe even the comics what kind of comics work did you look to or were you inspired by in developing the look for the the show i mean in terms of the sitcom world which you know obviously the show plays with heavily i'm english i wasn't really exposed to all the american shows so to me it became like a deep dive into kind of the history of american sitcom and i'm really specifically targeting shows that Matt Shackman had identified as kind of the key reference points. So that became kind of a delve. <laughs> and it was, you know, to the point that I actually was able to get hold of some prints of some early shows and have them screen projected so I could really, you know, experience the kind of the first-hand quality of what that image really looked like. And then comic-wise, I went straight to House of M and stuff like that because, you know, I didn't know that much about Wanda. So I needed to kind of understand that. Obviously, the vision where he goes into suburbia. I think it's the Tom. Uh, yeah, The the Vision by mm. Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez-Volta, Jordi Belair, and Michael Walsh. It's so good. Tom King's Vision series was kind yeah. of key. And I didn't get to that immediately. But as soon as I got to that, it filled in a lot of blanks for me. And I think, so for me, I think House of Am and the Tom King work were kind of the two touchstone comic references. And then I got, I did get very specific with the American sitcom references and very much by period because it is kind of a history of, of television. So it was kind of decade by decade, what were the touchstone shows for that era and then really digging into the look and the formats and really how I was going to kind of create looks for each show based on those references. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, I think of your style as so distinctive. You know, we think about films that I know we're huge fans of, like Hot Fuzz and Ghost of the Shell, Spectacular Now. I'm curious, what were you sort of taking that research and that inspiration, getting to know sort of an early American television, what were you interested in exploring in that format? What did you think was really different or interesting from what you've done prior? I mean, I think, you know, any genre to me is like, I, I sort of think of myself as a genre cinematographer in some ways, in that <laughs> I, I decided very early that I didn't want to just do one style, you know? Although you might sort of think of a body of work maybe in relation to me, I think if you looked at each of those pieces, you'd see that I'm very much interested in, in kind of world building for each project. So I kind of start each project trying to do something unique. And I think even with something which has a big IP like Ghost, it was very much about kind of where can I take that beyond just the kind of the comic book reference and bring it into a live action? What can I do that's original and different and push the boundaries? So I think for me, you know, the, I never shot like multi-camera sitcom before. So the idea of kind of shooting on three cameras, which was something that Matt wanted to bring in very much as a feature of what we did. And, and in fact, on episode one, we shot one take, I think it's a 23 minute take of almost the entire show in a very conventional, using the three cameras, repositioning, lighting cues, basically as a live event really, which was how they did that. So to me, that was like a massive challenge. You know, we <laughs> used to kind of shot reverse shot. Let's light the wide shot. Let's move in for the close up. Let's light the close up. 
you know, how do we do that on three cameras over 23 minutes? And, and that's a huge challenge. And so I think that was probably the biggest challenge for me was going from this, this very crafted cinematic kind of style, which I've sort of evolved over the years into how can I get a quality of lighting on Elizabeth Olsen in the middle of a stage when I've got three cameras shooting from three different angles. One's a wide shot, one's a medium shot, two shot and one's a close up. Technically, how do I achieve that? So really sort of looking at going back to kind of old set styles of like Dick Van Dyke show Bewitched and stuff like that and looking at like, okay, what, what were their lighting points there? How can I see from that still, like what's above the set? How are they lighting this and how are they achieving this? So yeah, it was sort of unpicking the kind of some of the techniques that have built up, grown out of that and then trying to kind of build that into, you know, a way to execute this on a digital camera and, you know, four and a half K resolution. <laughs> Um, it's a very interesting challenge. And I think when I spoke to Matt Shackman for the first time, it was the first call that I did on WandaVision. I was in Budapest and I was doing a commercial which involved like about five different period looks. So I was actually sort of at that time kind of playing with a bunch of like detuning lenses and kind of building, doing color science around building different looks for different periods in that moment. And I think that was sort of helpful to me because I was sort of already in that headspace to think about really how to do that over the show. It seems like just so much work. Normally, you know, you have one shot and there's like a million extra lights that you can hide in the background, <laughs> but I guess you can't really do that with three cameras. <laughs> you can't. No, you can't. And, you know, these very particular set configurations as well that sort of are not necessarily as flexible as, as we're used to. So, yeah, I've always been really interested in, I mean, the history of cinema and, and that, you know, evolved into the history of television and just the way that, you know, how we can learn from the older techniques. I mean, I obviously started shooting on 35 mil and there's a lot of techniques that you evolve shooting on film that maybe you would think are not so applicable to digital technology. But I think part of the, the growth of digital technology has been interesting for me of like, how can I bring what I learned shooting film some of that that knowledge into kind of the digital work. And so this presented like kind of the ideal blend of like, okay, you've got to create 1950s black and white sitcom with the best digital camera you can plus you know we're, we're dealing with actually the the disney platform for the streaming which is hdr which is actually meant we were mastering to the highest level in a sense that's ever been done in this marvel universe because normally hdr is done as a conversion because most theaters are not projecting hdr so although they would produce an hdr master it wouldn't necessarily have been viewed on set as hdr and lit for hdr it would be more of a, a conversion thing that would happen afterwards so so I decided quite early that I wanted to go full in on that workflow and, and kind of look at an HDR image and really find a way to make, in a way, the most sophisticated image we've, <laughs> we've seen yet feel like a 1950s image that was shot on film. And that was a very interesting road. I think about that and all the, the stuff you talked about, the black and white and you know, the three camera shoots. And we think of an MCU production as, you know, these extraordinary circumstances, visual effects heavy and all kinds of stuff. And, and I'm sure that's part of it. But you also are filming in front of a live studio audience for some of this stuff. Did that change how you were able to or had to approach some of these shots and, and scenes? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's really episode one that we did with the live audience. Matt had kind of dug into a lot of history about that. And, you know, I, I dug into it as well. And it was such a part of what they were doing. I mean, Matt comes out of theater as much as, as film or television. And so I think as a theater director, you know that there's something in the live event that is irreplaceable. Having grown up with parents that dragged me to the Royal Shakespeare Company as a child <laughs> and all of that, I, I definitely had seen enough theatre to know that there was something special in that performative moment. And so I was very on board with, with trying to do that. 
it, it did present a lot of challenges, but I think it also gave something back in the sense that you don't have every choice to make, but what you do get is this excitement, this energy, this laughter that feeds into both the actors and I think the crew. And you can sense that when you're shooting. I was, I was really interested in, you know, looking at the edit when, when they'd done the edit of like, you know, and asking how much of that was the live show, because of course we went and picked up other shots and, and, and reshot certain sections. And it was hard to tell what was and what wasn't. But I do believe that episode is quite special. And I think it wouldn't have been quite the same if we hadn't done that, that technique. Well, it seems like such a lot of work on top of that, because you're also you have episodes that are in black and white, which I don't know if you shoot in black and white necessarily, but it seems like it's a completely different process in some ways. What was it like sort of learning that process? Yeah, I mean, it was a very different process. I mean, I, I wanted to be very authentic in the kind of approach. So although we're capturing color with the camera, essentially we're, we're kind of housing that in a black and white lookup table, which means, you know, everybody's looking at black and white. It's fully designed for black and white. And I'm looking at a black and white image when I'm lighting. So essentially you're kind of working in black and white. I mean, the, fall, the fallback to the color isn't necessarily going to help you because it's not been lit for that. So you're kind of committing and you're committing on set to that to a certain extent. And so one of the things that I did was I really tried to work with the kind of lighting that would have been available in the 1950s. So essentially period instrument. And we were using like really old lights. I mean, I think we scraped the barrel of several <laughs> rental companies. And I think in the end, oh, cool. we dragged some lights out of Paramount to get enough like of these, they're called 8K softs. And they're just an incredible light that was used on these sitcoms, very specific. A tungsten based light and you know i don't think there was a single light on episode one which was not a period light fixture you're working with period lighting you're kind of housing this incredibly complex digital signal within a kind of box that's your sort of black and white look and and then you've got to do that seven times <laughs> because <laughs> uh, you, you go to the 1960s and i noticed a real shift in contrast you know they've changed the kind of film stock they're using they're using a slightly different lighting style it's kind of been influenced by cinema a little bit more it's a little bit more modeling in, in the lighting but once again we stuck to kind of like the period fixtures that we thought they were using at that time and then Episode three is kind of early color film. So there's another set of challenges there. You know, the seven looks and it was seven versions of, of that much detail that, that I went into to kind of produce this. That's amazing. I, you know, like hearing you talk about it makes it seem like a sort of, of magic in and of itself because you're, you're starting, you're trying to distill certain looks and feelings for these different eras into these episodes and give them their own distinct looks and feels. But then at the same time, I imagine you and the team are also talking about how to unify and, and really make this show feel cohesive across these very different looking feelings. What, what is that process like to, to bring it all together? Yeah, I mean, that process is, is interesting and challenging. And I think one of the, the things we faced was not just kind of the integration across nine episodes, but the integration within episodes, because this is not a linear um, you know, it starts linear, like episode one is until the last shot, spoiler, and episode two, <laughs> you know, again, but by the time you get deeper into the show, you're, you're cross-cutting between these different realities. That's really interesting because you've got to think, okay, now I'm going from black and white to the version of MCU that we kind of developed. And, and what's, how's that going to feel? Like, not just in terms of color, contrast, sharpness, but also aspect ratio. So we, I think we have four different aspect ratios across the series. 
Um, and within a, an episode, sometimes we, you know, have three of them. So it was kind of like really, I mean, there was a lot of detail in terms of like, when does that shift happen? And how are we going to kind of make that shift smooth and make it not feel abrupt? And how are we going to kind of integrate the aspect ratio? You know, the way that the way that I did it really was to build all the looks in advance so that I knew I actually had a contrast range for the black and white episode one, episode two. I had a full 25 color palette for episode three, episode four, same thing. So you could look at everything together and say, okay, well, well, we're not repeating ourselves, but yet we're kind of complementary. And that was a lot of work. I did a lot of work with Worthington, our production designer at that point, because what I was doing was kind of isolating colors that were appearing in period footage, taking the color values of that, trying to replicate them. And then it was really important to make sure that he was working in a very similar color space and also Maze Rubio, the costume designer, so that we were kind of all integrated there so that we weren't having to kind of isolate colors and digitally afterwards and kind of swing things around too much. But you really... You'd look at a set, a wardrobe, and my light, and everything just kind of hopefully would just coagulate into a beautiful alchemy of period authenticity. So it was it was a lot of cross departmental work as well as kind of my own process. But yeah, it was it was it was really liking at them together. You know, once we kind of I built the kind of the, the ideal, you know, the target, i.e., like what was the original show, what was the aspect ratio of that period, what kind of cameras were they shooting on, what kind of lighting were they using. And to be honest, that process is still going on a little bit now in post-production because one of the things that we're doing in the digital intermediate is coming to an image which, you know, has a lot of sophistication, but also saying, well, hold on, this, this doesn't quite feel right. What can we do to just kind of add that final 10%, you know, and make it feel like it, it sits right with the other episodes, it sits right with the period and, and with the other work that's been done. So, yeah. Let's go into the spoiler zone a little bit. So if you guys haven't watched the show yet, this is your moment to go watch all the episodes and then come back to this episode and finish out This Week in Marvel. I think one of the moments that's really charming is getting to see Wanda's magic and seeing those sort of more practical looking Mm. effects happen on camera. What was it like sort of filming around the TV magic, because I assume there are puppeteers around. Oh, yeah, that, that was a lot of, of fun. I mean, yeah, in case it wasn't complicated enough to do a 23 minute <laughs> single take with a studio audience, you know, add a bunch of plates flying around the room. And so, I mean, one of the, the biggest challenges I found, and it's really episode one where a lot of that stuff happens, I was dependent on this kind of this overhead lighting grid to accommodate the three cameras. But then we were trying to do practical effects as well, which meant a lot of like hidden pulley systems, and you know, <laughs> invisible fishing lines and people off the side, you know. So there was a there was a lot to kind of navigate around. And obviously that creates problems with shadows and the rest of it. So, you know, some of those shots we had to kind of treat as kind of separate little pieces where we'd go back and we'd kind of do a you know very detailed piece of wire work with a napkin landing and a bottle of wine pouring and stuff like that. But again, it was really interesting to to kind of you know use these older techniques and to kind of look back at the footage and to see you know how did they do that and sort of literally sort of unpick it. And you know Dan Sudak was a master of practical effects. He'd actually come up, I think, and worked with some of the kind of early real kind of brilliant people in that world. So he was very comfortable with with doing that, which really helped. And yeah, you know, again, sort of going down the kind of the episodes thinking like, when does this now become a digital effect? And it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. What about when Wanda and Vision realized they're pregnant and 
you you get to you know go from black and white and to color and and really exploring that what was that like for you as a both a challenge and a, a reward that was that was great yeah that was kind of a, a dp's gift i think i don't know how many of those you get to do um but yeah i love i love the concept it was a beautiful moment for that to happen I literally sort of bringing color you know bringing life into the world and so that shot was very well designed i think in terms of the way that it evolved it was a very difficult shot to execute technically and i think in terms of although it's it's not that complicated visual effects wise it's kind of hard to get it right again you're sort of shifting between these two very distinct kind of color spaces the black and white and the early color so i was very keen on when the early color came in you know it wasn't just a color you know you saw like a pastel green wall that complemented vision the color the red color of vision's face so we had this kind of inherent color contrast which kind of really added drama to it but we ended up because we were on these kind of sitcom design sets because that was the world you know that was quite a difficult shot to execute because we actually sort of track around wonder as it's sort of happening and so kind of finding enough room for the camera and the lighting to work and everything was was a challenge yeah it's a great moment and i'm i'm happy with that shot definitely like sort of one of the key moments i think in the early series which was like oh we've got to make you know got to make this shot work really well <laughs> You know, on the other flip side, when you get to see more of S.W.O.R.D. and you get to see more of sort of this classic MCU style in the way that we think about it, what was it like literally getting to sort of traverse that with Monica getting pulled through the the barrier? Yeah, this was this was great. I mean, credit to Mary Levanos, actually, who at some point just said, shouldn't this be a night scene? <laughs> and I think we were in the middle of like a big scheduling thing. You know, obviously night is kind of like precious because you only have so much of it. It's, you know, everyone gets tired and it's, it's a precious resource. So although the initial reaction was, oh, we've got so much night. Are we going to, you know, how are we going to pull it off with the schedule? I kind of immediately knew she was right. And I was like, that is it. It has to be night. It's a great way to kind of show that world for the first time. It's, it's a really fun sequence of shots, which we worked sort of together on the previs for that. You know, it was, it was early enough in my prep schedule so that I was able to get into that room with Matt and with Mary and kind of contribute to that. And I feel like we kind of really made a nice sequence there. It's a fun world because you go from essentially kind of period, you know, early, early color to this like suddenly lit with industrial you know lighting and you know <laughs> it's a big night exterior and you're you know you go to anamorphic lenses and the world kind of opens up i enjoyed that sequence tremendously jess we're we're gonna wrap up here shortly but uh you know thinking about these scenes and the cool opportunities you have was there any were there any other scenes uh in the show that you really you know want fans to take a cool look at or are you really proud of you're really excited for for the Marvel fans to uh, to feast their eyes. I mean, there's so much in this show for, for any true fan, but I think for me, one area that's really close to my heart is kind of episode nine. It's the Wanda and Agnes kind of journey, which, you know, I mean, I definitely, like I've mentioned House of M, which I just think is, is a masterpiece. And I was very inspired by House of M, having kind of worked in anime, you know, with Ghost in the Shell and the kind of research that I did there and knowing how kind of rich you can go with that stuff. I was really like fascinated by how rich they went in House of M with the kind of color palette and, you know, with the different worlds and the different realities that they kind of traverse through. And I just sort of I loved kind of building that sequence for episode nine, where they kind of journey through all these different aspects of Wanda's life. And you really see what got her to the point that you really see her at in the earlier episodes. And it's, it's a brilliant bit of writing by Jack Schaefer because you don't really fully understand it until that point. But during that sequence, 
it kind of gets right in there. <laughs> so I think visually, you know, like in terms of narrative, you know, all the actors are fantastic in that sequence. And it's definitely for me, one of, the, one of my favorites. Thank you so much, Jess, for spending some time with us. Everybody go watch Marvel Studios' WandaVision right now. All right, big thanks again to Jess Hall for coming on the show. Uh, cool. So yeah, it was really fun to be able to talk to folks behind Marvel Studios WandaVision. And yeah, definitely if you now have listened to that interview and maybe you go back and especially watch those first couple of episodes and you get a, an even deeper appreciation for how hardcore they were about like respecting the craft of what went into making those episodes and those those eras. It's It's really brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And uh, so our interview next week is going to be a really cool roundtable that you had, Lorraine. Yeah, we had over the women of Marvel, Ellie Pyle, Judy Stevens, and Angelique Roche to talk about Women's History Month, Women of Marvel, and the cool stuff that Women of Marvel has planned for comics. And so I thought in the spirit of that, our question of the week for this week would be, who do you think is your favorite, most empowering woman of Marvel? Ooh. In the Marvel Comics universe, obviously, yeah. <laughs> or the MCU. I got mine instantly. Who do you got, James? Storm. Yep. The minute you posed <laughs> that question to me, Lorraine, Storm yeah. came in like yeah. floating down, lightning striking, and I was just like, the goddess. Like she is. Oof. I wish. I wish there was a way we could do a personality body transfer. I want the Felicia Rashad of today, the way she speaks today when she's on interviews and things. I want her to speak like that in the in the 90s to play Storm then. Can you imagine the the Felicia Rashad of today when she gets on television, she says, ladies and gentlemen, this is how, and have that be Storm. <laughs> That's when I see Storm, I see that Felicia Rashad voice. There's just a, a regalness about her. There's a, any, okay, and then also just on practical, anybody that can look at their roster and you have Beast, Cyclops, and Logan, and they'll all step in line because you're the leader, that's that's a leader because those three you have the most brilliant hothead and hotter head and they follow you that's a leader right there and for professor x to go yeah you that's a leader to me someone who could take those personalities and go this is what we're doing it's just amazing yeah she's just so unflappable yeah as, as a leader like it just kind of rolls all the drama rolls off her back you know I would also say I got to throw out triumvirate you know this is like very 80s but I love uh, She-Hulk, Wasp, and Monica Rambeau mm -hmm. as Come like on. a little Avengers trio. Yeah. Just like, yeah, baby, give that to me. Because they all kind of support each other. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, it's just the best. Yeah. She's the greatest. Storm led the X-Men without powers at one point, which, mm -hmm. you know, like you take that. But, uh, you know, even think about other characters like Rogue. I think Rogue oh. is such a great character who's had such an amazing arc over the last, you know, 30 odd years. Yeah. And to, she's grown so much to become a leader of mm -hmm. of the X-Men, of Mutant Kind, um, Emma Frost. Emma Frost. I'm an X-Men person. How about person. Kate Pride? Oh, Kitty. It's, wow. This is just... La mutant lady appreciation yeah. hour on my end. Um, but, I'm here yeah. for that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Hell yeah. So good. Uh, but those are our picks. Those are um, some tremendous women of Marvel. Uh, but we want to hear from you. So, listeners, you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. And of course, please make sure to tell us that it is okay to read on the show so that way we can read it on the show. Yeah, do it. So we have some comments here from last week. We asked you guys, what is your favorite episode of Marvel Studios WandaVision now that you have watched the whole Ding Dang series? I'm going to issue a little spoiler warning here. Mm -hmm. We're not going to spoil the show, but our friends who tweeted us probably will. So if you have not watched the series yet, please watch the series before you listen to this portion or or just get spoiled. That's that's your prerogative. This is what you guys do. These fans do. You just pause our show right now. Run to your TV, watch the show, leave us on pause, then come back and listen to the show. Just have a Marvel-filled day. You'll have a great time. Exactly. James, you talked about the show a lot at the top of our episode, but do you have a favorite episode from Marvel Studios' WandaVision? Yes. I think it's because it had the most holy crap moment for me. It was when, you know, her and Vision were arguing, and then she goes to the door, and there's her brother. That's my favorite, because my other one, of course, is the... is. I, like I don't want to spoil things, but there's a moment where there's a wonderful design of Wanda that we all know and love, and the when they take that and make it modern is, I I literally just screamed like a girl at a BTS concert. So, <laughs> but that moment where she opens the door, I remember texting you guys, and me and my nerd boys went on our thread. And we're like, oh my god, blah blah blah, nerded out. It was so great. We had such a great time. It was such a wonderful reveal. There are times where the companies do something and they they give a gift to the fans and kind of go merry christmas they kind of step away and watch the kid open the present and that's how it felt well said all right let's get into some of the tweets from y'all the first one is from the kawaii prince at colin j colin says overwhelming question but episode one of marvel studios wandavision is my favorite there was something so soothing about seeing wanda and vision just be happy she deserves a mental break plus the decor is my dream home Oh my gosh, seeing pictures of the set in color, mm -hmm. everything's like powder blue and adorable. Yeah. I 10 out of 10 would live. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. Next up, we have one from Clarissa at Fluffy Kitten Socks. The 50s filmed in front of a real studio audience. Though I did love every part of the series, if I could frame that ep, I would. Yes, I would also frame that episode. It is... A work of art to be hung on a wall, for sure. We've got one in here from MUB at Umer Badar. Episode three, the transition from black and white to color was absolutely mind-boggling. Vision looked so good and Wanda was as beautiful as ever. They seemed a perfect couple in the alternate reality and life. Oh, I mm. love that moment. It's so yeah. sweet when the whole room turns to color and yes. she finds out that she's preggers. And so dun, I dun, believe dun, the, yeah. the doctor the doctoral term. Yep, that's that's the official yeah, that's clinical the official term. term. Yes, it's actually mm -hmm. No, it's doctoral. <laughs> like a PhD. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to go. Yep. Have a good day. That was so good. <laughs> we have a uh, Soph at Lunar Light Soph. As much as I really really enjoy the finale for me, episode 8, I just think beats it to the top post finding out more about wanda's backstory and just how much certain events affected her added so much more weight to her character and previous marvel films loved it i agree it was also one of those moments again where the writers 
went back to our favorite films and said, I'm going to take this little piece right here that we talked about in a film that was like, you know, four years ago and do something with it. I was like, oh, that's just brilliant. Yes, so good. This next one is from I Have No Idea What I'm Doing at I Have No Strange. (laughs) Which is just (laughs) great. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Which says... I would say episode eight, previously on, I liked how it showed Wanda's trauma and how she got to where she is in present day. It's a lot. That's a, that's a heavy one. A lot of folks liked episode eight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, including this one, which says, my favorite episode is the eighth. It's a very fantastic series, but the end of the final episode, it's so sad, but I love the ninth too. Oh, the feels. <laughs> All right. Uh, We've got uh, some Facebook messages in here from our pal, Jenny Huang. Jenny says, my favorite Marvel Studios WandaVision episode was episode one. It was hilarious. I loved the flying lobster. I also loved Vision playing banjo and trying to distract the hearts while Wanda was attempting to make dinner. It reminded me of I Love Lucy and Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. Sorry, I wasn't able to chime in on last week's question after Wanda flew off. I wonder what Wanda will be up to next. Will she become a hermit like Luke Skywalker or will she go down the dark side? And she says uh, that we are so funny that me and you, Lorraine, were the best. Keep it going. Thank you. And this is how she gets her Marvel news every week. She ignored you, James. I'm sorry about that. It's fine. I've been gone a long time. (laughs) He's a busy man, but he's Very got a mustache busy. now, so it's fine. I know, but it looks great. It's just, it's tremendous. Keep the mustache forever. Y'all, that's it. That's we're, it. We're done. That's yeah. an episode. That was great. Uh, that's this episode of This Week of Marvel, and it was produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And special thanks to doctoral advice. <laughs> the end. I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Lorraine. And I'm James. And this is Marvel. Your Your universe. universe.